you'd like to turn <coughs> in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17, um, page 925, as I said. This morning, for those who weren't here, uh, we looked at the theme of providence. Psalmist said, my times are in your hands. And we thought about such. And we thought about our times being in God's hands and the providence of God. And times, the thought of times, I want to continue and think of the signs of the times. That's a phrase that we, the world uses, uh, particularly when nasty things are going on, particularly, or there's unruliness or hoodlism uh, and all kinds of vandalism. And they say, oh, well, it's just a sign of the times. The times in which we live, generally speaking, uh, they're not wonderful times. They're bad times. They're things that have happened, um, that are happening now, never happened in our generation, let me include myself, all right, in a, a younger generation, even for me, and I, I still don't think I'm as old as I am, and obviously I don't look it, but I mean, I remember things, oh, you know, back in the day, I remember my my parents or, or grandparents, and, oh, back in when I was a little lad, yeah, 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 or I was a little girl, yeah, 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 and now I'm saying the same thing, right, oh, back in my day, but you know what I mean, but biblically, biblically, um, Signs of the Times is related to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a subject that seems to me, I may be wrong, but is very rarely preached upon these days. Uh, very rare, very rarely have I heard a specific sermon from this pulpit on the second coming of Christ. Well, there may be many reasons for that. It may be for some, it's a controversial subject. And let's be honest, there are various views amongst good gospel people, good Christian people, on the second coming of Christ. Uh, when he will come, how he will come, what will happen before and after he comes, and all that kind of things. A very range, great range of particular beliefs about what we call the second coming of Christ. Nevertheless, it's an important subject because it's a Bible subject. Because the Lord Jesus Christ talks about it in the Gospels. The, the writers of the epistles, particularly Paul and Peter, talk about the second coming of Christ, the second advent. They talk about his first coming. Yes, he came from heaven to this world. Yes, he was born as a baby in Bethlehem. We've had that over Christmas. And then we know that he, he lived a life of 33 years about and he did miracles and he did teaching and healing and then he went to a cross and died for our sins and rose again and 40 days he goes back into heaven and there he is at the moment interceding for his people there he is but he said i will come again i will leave heaven leave my intercessory i will come and i will come for my people and then he will do what he will do and so it's a Bible theme that has lost out. And it concerns me as to why it's lost out. And the fact that it's a bit controversial is no reason why we shouldn't talk about it and preach about it. 
Now, I confess, I come from a, a little place um, in South Wales, and this was a big thing. Little missions, little halls, particularly here, there, and everywhere. All right? They had two main themes in South Wales, revival and return. They, they'd known revival in days gone by and blessing, and so they prayed for it and preached it. Revival, close walk with God, with the Lord Jesus. But they also saw that Jesus had promised he would come again, and so they preached the second coming. They said, this Jesus is going to come again. And they looked at the scriptures, and they looked at the things that Jesus said would precede his coming. There were certain signs of the time. Now, one of the problems was, perhaps still is in some quarters, is that people saw things happening in the world and said, right, that's it. This has happened, and this was prophesied in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, and therefore Jesus is coming tomorrow. And some of you may remember, folk like dear Edward and Martin perhaps don't remember these things, right? They're far too young. But... Uh, do you remember when the common market came about? Oh, it's a long time ago, wasn't it? The common market. <clears throat> and it was called the Treaty of Rome. And it was, and Rome was built on seven hills. And there's, there's prophecy about seven hills. Ah, so this must be the fulfillment of that prophecy. So the common market is the big thing in the Bible. And it comes and it goes, and Jesus still is not here. So obviously it was a misunderstanding my humble opinion, right, of those prophecies which are yet to be fulfilled and will be fulfilled. So we've got to be very careful about how you apply prophecy and things that have happened right, and are going to happen. Oh, this must be what the Bible says. Well, is that what the, the Bible does say that, but our interpretation may not be accurate. Now, one of the things we do not do and we're commanded not to do, is to think about dates and times. If you're familiar with the Jehovah's Witnesses, um, they've made a public declaration, you know, Jesus is coming back on, on the 28th of September, uh, 1904, whatever it was, uh, and, and so on. And that came and went. So then they changed their minds. Oh, I think we got it wrong. And so there's another date. Date comes, Jesus doesn't come, and they change it again. And, and they change in the date. Now, I don't know what the current date is. Right, but you can think. Well, how can they say that when the Bible says clearly, "Of that day and hour knows no man, not the angels, not even the Son of Man." That's a strange thing, isn't it? Even Jesus Himself, as the Son of Man, doesn't know. Obviously, as the Son of God, He knows everything. But as the Son of Man, He doesn't, and He doesn't know. And so to say things about, oh, it's a date. Do you remember, um, was it 24 years ago now, uh, to the year 2000? That was going to be a date. The Lord is going to come. The year 2000. 2000 years since he, he, he was born. Yeah, well, even that's not technically correct because the, the experts tell us he was probably born 4 BC. It's complicated, right? But you can't get definite dates and times. And indeed, the Lord said, you cannot do that. You mustn't do it. Having said all that, nevertheless, Jesus does say, prior to his coming, there'll be certain things uh, that will happen on earth and in the heavens. 
And I want to look at two particular things he said, because they're fairly simple, I think, to understand. And then we can say, well, is this happening today? And we can make our own conclusions. All right, so that's what we're going to do. We look at two particular things that Jesus said, and because they're Bible things, we can actually look in a bit, bit, look into them a bit deeper, and then we can say, well, is this what's happening today? And we might say then, well, if it is, perhaps these are the last days of when prior to our Lord's return. I'm not going to say this proves that tomorrow is going to come, but I am going to say could be tomorrow. Could be five years hence, 50 years hence. I don't know. But it's interesting to see what Jesus said. Okay? So that's where we're going. Right, so let's have a little look at what Jesus said, all right? And one of the things he says here about the last days, he says that, let me just get it right, all right? This is verse 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. And then later he says, And as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be, and the Son of Man be revealed. So the Lord Jesus Christ makes reference to two historical people and the historical events that took place uh, when they were alive. Okay? So that's fairly simple, isn't it? Well, perhaps. So we turn to Genesis chapter 6. The days of Noah. Uh, you, if, if, I mean, if you know what it is, and you can go to it quickly, you can, but uh, you needn't because you know the story very well. All right, so Noah is there with his sons and, and so on, and we're told, it says right at the beginning of the Bible, mind remember, that's only chapter 6, chapter 6, verse 11, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. There was a word there I read three times. Corrupt. 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 God is saying something, isn't he? God is saying the earth at the time, the people on the earth, were corrupt. Corruption was throughout society. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth, and so on. So this is the God's description, right, of the people who are alive at that time. And it's a terrible description, really. Uh, actually, I, I missed out verse 5 before the verses I just read. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, it's not just that there were bad people, not just that there were sinful people. There's always been sinful people from the day that Adam sinned and then his son kills his brother. And so there's always been sin in the world, right from... Uh, the time that Adam fell. But it's the degree of sin, right? Uh, he saw the wickedness of man was great. There's levels of wickedness and degrees of wickedness. 
And the degree of wickedness, according to God, in Genesis, in the days of Noah, was great. The wickedness was great. Now, men have bad imaginations, and they imagine all kinds of nasty things. Well, but listen to the degree. And every imagination of the thoughts of his heart is on evil continually. This, these folk are a bad lot. It's not just a little bit here and there. It's a general, universal thing, as the world as it was. Now, I want you to see some of the, of the intensity of this, right, and the description of these things. This is not my description. This is God's description of what it was like in those days. It was a dreadful, awful thing. Okay. Well, now you've got the gist of that, right? Let's go over to Sodom. Right? Sodom and Gomorrah, two cities of the plain. And you remember that uh, Abram and Lot is heavy. Uh, they, they get in too much of them together, the families and the livestock and everything. And so Abram says, you know, we need to split up, as it were. You go your way and I'll go my way. And uh, see, so it gives him the choice. And we're told that the, the land of uh, Sodom was, uh, was plain, was pleasant and very nice. All right, it looked, it looked good. And uh, so Lot says, well, uh, I'll go up there. I'll go to that land up there towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And we're told that Abram, or Abram as he was, dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent towards Sodom. So at the moment, he's outside. He's outside, and the city is up there, as it were. And then we have this description of the men of Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord, all right, well, we've already said that about Noah. They were wicked then, all right? They were sinners then. But listen to the adjective. Listen to the word. Before the Lord, exceedingly. Exceedingly. Again, extent. They were just only little sinners, only little wicked people, all right? They were wicked before the Lord exceedingly. They were a bad lot. No pun included, meant all right? They were a bad lot. And the next thing we find, Lot, he's in the city. Right? He's moved out of outside of the city, and now he's in the city. And there's a verse says about Lot being at the, the gate of the city. Now, the gate of the city was where they did the business, the commerce. They all met there, the elders of the city. They'd come together and they discuss business. Now, he seems to be part of the inset, Right? He's part of the, of, of, of the top people. He's worked his way in, and now he is in Sodom, and he's by the gate, and, and so on. Well, what's the next description we have? Well, this is at 18, all right, verse 20. And the Lord said, because the city of Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah is, because the cry is great, because their sin is very grievous. Again, extent, description, it's getting worse. How can it get worse from being great and exceedingly great? Well, it's getting worse. It was bad, but it's getting worse and worse and worse. Now, this is God's description of it. 
And yet in the midst of all this real wickedness and evil that's going on, there's a God of mercy. This is amazing. So he tells, he tells, God, the Lord tells Abram what he's going to do. And Abram is concerned, of course he's concerned for, for his nephew, isn't he, and his family. Um, and uh, Abram comes before God. Now, here's a man, Abram, comes before the Almighty, Jehovah. And he draws near and says, Lord, there will be some who are not that bad. There will be some, some nice people, some righteous people in Sodom. You know, are you going to destroy the whole place, including them, because the majority are wicked? No. What if there were 50? If there were 50 righteous in the city, and by righteous, there's just right living, right? Not righteousness by faith and that kind. I don't think it means that. It just means people who are righteous, they live in right lives, not like the rest of the gang. If there are 50, will you spare? And the Lord said, okay. If I can find 50 who are righteous, I will not destroy the majority of Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay. So then, Abram goes a little bit further. Well, no. All right. What if there's kind of five less? Perhaps it's just 45. Will you destroy the city for 45? Okay, if it's 45, and you, I won't go through bit by bit, but Abraham goes down and down and down, 40, all right, um, 30, all right, 20, all right, 10. He's now gone from 50 to 10. And Abraham says, Lord, if there are 10 righteous people in the whole of the population of Sodom and Gomorrah, if there's 10 there, will you spare the city for the sake of 10? Yes, says the Lord, I'll do that in my mercy, in my grace. I will do that. I will spare the city for 10. As you know, the Lord destroyed the cities which means that there weren't ten righteous people in the whole of the place. Wow. And it would appear that only Noah and that uh, Lot and his two daughters escaped. We know what happened to his wife. And his sons-in-law couldn't be bothered. Whew. Now, that's what we're told. Now, one of the things that I've often mentioned is the particular sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, I'm not going to harp on this, but I'm going to mention it because I want to make a point in a moment. The great sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was homosexual practice. We get the word sodomy from Sodom. And it's not a kind of nice kind of thing to talk about on a Sunday night, but it's, a, it's real in those days, and it's real today. And we have to say, we are not, as evangelical people, we're not anti-homosexuals. We're not anti-lesbians. But we are anti-homosexual practice. And there's a difference. There is a difference. Oh, you're preaching hate. We're not preaching hate. We long for these people to come to know the Lord Jesus. We want them to be forgiven. We want to be in the kingdom. And it happens. 
In the book, in the letter to the Corinthians, they often quote this because in the Corinthian church on a Sunday night or whatever night they met, there were homosexuals and there were lesbians and there were cheats and there were this and there were all kinds of the worst of society, according to some. And they were in the congregation because they'd been washed and they'd been cleansed and they'd been justified. And that's in the Bible, 1 Corinthians. So we're not anti that. But what we are anti is the practice of a man with a man and a woman with a woman. And we're against it because it's not normal. It's not natural. Now I risk, I risk being misunderstood here, all right? But if I said adultery is a great sin, it's a breaking of the seventh commandment, right? But it's natural in the sense of the physical act. It's not right, but it's a natural sin. Homosexual practice is unnatural sin, if you get the difference. Now, as I say, I don't want to spend time on this. But let's think about the application for a moment. The world, worldwide, is full of violence. Almost all for every continent are people who are fighting, big time, little time. I mean, I was surprised, I think you were too, when Russia invaded Ukraine, right? We thought we'd have to finish with all that kind of stuff. After Germany and all the rest of it, the First World War, the Second World War, we thought we'd finish. And yet suddenly, I see on our doorsteps, it's not that far away, it's Europe. And, and yet it's happening all over the place. Conflict, wars. Violence. But it's not just in wars, on our streets. And what seems to be worse, now we're talking about extent to some degree, there are younger people. Somebody's been murdered in London recently, and they arrested a 15-year-old boy. What's going on? You're kids, they're only kids, and they're stabbing one another. Oh, you're just picking on one little thing. Well, I'm not just picking one little thing, it's all over the place. Corruption in high places, in low places. Big thing at the moment, the post office. Now, I mean, that is a, such a bad business. Somebody knew what was going on. Somebody must have known. And they didn't like to say, no, it's a, anyway, not for me to say, but it's a bad business. You know what's happening. And, but it's everywhere. In government, top government, little government, the people are on the take. Corruption is normal. It's normal. Oh, you know, you do that, you take something from work, but everybody else is doing it, why are you bothered? Well, you shouldn't do that. Oh, don't care, it doesn't matter. You just come out of the profits. And the thing, the homosexual thing is, there have been homosexuals from right back Bible, die, Bible days. But do you, have you seen the progression of it? I think I'll write to my facts here. One time in Britain... Homosexual practice was a hanging offence. Now, you might not agree with that, but that's a fact. Then they said, that's, we can't do that. But it'll still be illegal. It mustn't be a practice in homosexual. So people were, they called, in the closet. You know. um, but then they said, no, it can be legal. So people came out of the closet. Um, and sometimes they hear the stories, you think, oh, I wish they'd just stayed there. But this is what's interesting. 
When people came out of the closet, they were proud. And they made a thing of it. And the people who were not applauded them. It's wonderful, he's come out. She's come out. Oh, wonderful. One lovely. Oh, was it lovely to see these men kissing and embracing? Yuck. That's my opinion. Yuck. But you see what's happening? They're proud. And now people, normal people, people who have normal natural behaviour and relationships, now they feel that they must applaud them and be with them because if they don't, they'll be anti-homophobic and all these nasty words will be thrown out. So they feel they must agree with it. But they don't agree with it because it's not normal and it's not natural. And so it moves on. It's now legal. And then they allowed civil partnership. Okay? So a man and a wife have a, have a legal relationship and their legal implications. All right, so this two, two men, two men, they want a legal relationship and everything will be legal, fine. All right, give them a civil partnership. They are, in effect, exactly the same as a man and wife. But they call it a civil partnership. But that's not enough. We want a, our relationship to be called a marriage. They say, well, it can't be a marriage because the definition of a marriage is a man and a woman. A woman and a man. That's the definition of a marriage. Well, we'll have to change that definition, won't we? Because we want to be as a married couple. Why would you want to be as a married couple when you're not getting any more benefits than you would if you were a civil partnership? Well, because it looks normal. Can you see this? It looks normal. It looks okay. Mr. and Mr. Mrs. and Mrs. It's nonsense. And we thought after they got their same marriage, that that would be the end of it, and everything would quiet down. Oh, the enemy, the enemy of souls, the enemy of creation and the creator, he's really now stirring it. Trans. Trans. I don't feel like a man, I feel like a girl today. Might tomorrow I might change my mind, but I might then go on. I don't feel like a woman. I really, I'm a man. I really want to be a man, and I want to take part in, in women's sports because I can win. Now, I'm not making this up. You know this. This afternoon, I was listening to a sermon from America, from a man, uh, Beg, who is uh, a Scot, right? but he's, an, he's now American, and he said he'd read something Yesterday, I think, in the in the Meth in Britain, the Methodists have now said that they, when they have a marriage in the Methodist Church, they're not allowed to use the terms husband and wife. They must use other terms. I don't know what, but they mustn't use husband. And, wife. and also, we mustn't use the term brothers and sisters in church. Because if I say you're my brother, I'm identifying you as a man. If I call you my sister, I'm identifying you as a sister. But you not, might not be a man. You might not be a sister. You even look me to me to you look like a man and sister. Look, I think this is crackers. It's absolutely crackers. the world out there laughing. This is the Methodist church and the church of and all that goes on. Now, so I said, well, we live in the days of Sodom. We live in the days of Noah. But, but, I am surprised. And I've got to stand back and say, wow. Because Jesus doesn't say so. Oh, I've got a glass of water. 
He's saying, hang on, Colin, now. I'm, 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 I'm confused now. You're telling me that Jesus said that in the days of Noah, blah, 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 and as in the days of Lot, blah, 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 and therefore it'll be the days of his coming. So you've said that, but now you're saying that Jesus doesn't say that. Well, let me clarify. Jesus doesn't say in the days of Noah they were so wicked, they were so corrupt, there was so much violence, and all that kind of stuff will be in the world before I come. It will be, but he doesn't say so. Huh. And when it comes to Sodom, Jesus doesn't say they were terrible people in Sodom. They were homosexual. And they, when the angel came to visit Lot, uh, you know the story, and a knock at the door in the middle of the night, and men and teenagers and boys said, we want to have sex with your guest. And Lot says, no, you can't, you mustn't do it. I've got, my, I've got two daughters here, rape them, but leave this man alone. They said, no, we don't want the women, we want the men. How dreadful is that? But Jesus doesn't mention it. Although it's happening. Do you think, well, what on earth did Jesus say then? Well, I'll tell you exactly what he said. Okay, so let me read it again. All right. So, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. Listen to this carefully. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, and they were given in marriage. So is Jesus saying that these things they were doing were kind of perverse and corrupt and terrible, wicked and all that kind of stuff? No. No. He's not saying that at all. Well, all right. What about Noah? Well, likewise, also in the days of, uh, um, of Lot, that was Noah, uh, of days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. No mention of homosexuality there and bad practice. Now you think, well, you know, I really am confused now. You are telling me that Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it had been the son of man, as it was in the days of Lot, so it had been the days of the man, and yet he talks about just normal, natural things, eating and drinking, getting married, planting, building. That's just normal activity. And that's the point. People are living today as if everything is fine and it'll go on tomorrow and the day after and the day after and it'll be all that until they die. Nothing will happen. There'll be no day of judgment. There'll be no coming of Christ. Nothing will just go on. Life will go on. And Jesus is saying, no, it won't. It'll come to an end, a drastic end, a judgmental end. And I will intervene when people are just going about their business, normal life, without God. I've said this previously. One of the things that really came across to me when I did my little Bible stall up in the market for was it, two years or so, I had very little opposition. And my Bible's out, and I tracts out, and a little banner at the back, Gordon Road Evangelical Church, you know, 
and I had every perhaps one. Nobody came to me and said, this is rubbish. How can you? You look fairly sensible, perhaps. How can you believe this nonsense? I don't believe in all this stuff. I'm a thinking man. I'm an intelligent man. This is rubbish. What about all the religions of the world? What about the wars that have been caused by religion? Oh, you're all hypocrites. And blast, a blast from this. Now, I think, I, I hope I'm honest here, I'd have taken that on. I'd have taken that on. I said, okay, okay. So tell me why you don't believe in God. Well, okay. I'm a scientist. Oh, there we are, I'm a scientist. What's a scientist? Well, somebody who's clever and... No, no, a scientist is somebody who's looked at evidence and come to a conclusion. Have you looked at the evidence for God, for Christ? No, 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 no. In other words, you can deal with somebody who's against you and has a reason for being against you that you can say, well, let's explore it. What do you know about Jesus? No, I don't know. We lived it. Well, he did live. And you can discuss things. And my famous case, which I've mentioned oftentimes, was a young um, lady, very smartly dressed, not that I noticed, but she was very smartly dressed. And uh, she must have thought I was running a craft store or something. I don't know why, but things were laid out. And, and she came running down in the high heels. And as she got closer, she could see it wasn't a craft store. It wasn't selling trinkets and crystals and nonsense. And oh, 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 I thought you were. Oh, oh. I said, no, it's spouse. Oh, not for me. Oh, help you. Oh, silly sausage. Now, that's the attitude of the majority of people in Hailsham. And I could say Eastbourne, I could say Bridgend, I could say anywhere in the UK, in the <laughs> West, people at large have no interest whatsoever in God. In the Lord Jesus. Where are the people that came to our carol service? Where are they today? Well, they're not here. Will we see them again? Well, if they haven't what last year, it won't see them until next Christmas. There's nothing in between. Don't have Jesus in between. Have him as a baby, yes, nice and cuddly, all lovely, da nah, nah. But don't have him as a saviour. Don't have him as a lord of your life. Don't have him as one before whom you'll be judged. Things just go on. Total uninterest, disinterest, disinterest, if you like. No, why should I think about Jesus? Well, one day he's going to come back. And one day you'll stand before him. And one day you'll give an account. And one day he'll say, depart from me. outer darkness and I'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth I remember saying to a young lad um, about gospel things and, he, um, and I said well you know there's heaven and hell heaven to win and hell to shun and he said well if I go to hell at least all my mates will be there ha 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 and I said yes but he won't enjoy their company would enjoy their company. Everlasting torment. Everlasting wrath. Serious, isn't it? 
and Colin, remember he had a cheery message. He said, well, if you're a believer, it's wonderful. Jesus is coming back. Hallelujah. You can say amen if you like. Thank you. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for the likes of you and the likes of me because we're his, because we've trusted in him as our Savior, our Lord. And when he comes, we'll be caught up together with him in the clouds. Praise the Lord. No more sin, no more sickness, no more weakness and tears, no more bad backs and gummy legs and funny hips and all the rest of it. No more. Hallelujah for that. No more scans. No more appointments in a hospital. No more. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Praise the Lord. Colin, you're going mad. Or I am going mad. This is glory. We'll be having this every week. <coughs> Jesus is coming again. And I believe soon. On the evidence of scripture. So what does that mean for us? Well, very briefly before we close. Several things. We need to get ready because we don't know the day or the hour. Now, Jesus talks about this, about being prepared, being prepared. And when I thought about this, I just smiled to myself because um, somebody pops in for, for a cuppa. I have a little friend who pops in, and we have a cup of coffee and perhaps a little bacon sandwich, but he doesn't tell anybody, I don't think. Uh, and we have a little thing together. But... To be honest, and he would know this, I'd never tidy up before he comes. Well, it's only him and me in it, and we eat out the garden. So what, do I, do I have to tidy up? But I've got some posh friends, eh, one or two, and they come to stay for a few days, and my daughter says, Dad, you've got to tidy up. Why? Well, you've got guests. So? Dad, you've got to tidy up. So she comes over and helps me to tidy up, because somebody important is coming. Not that the other one is not. He is to me, but that's not... Anyway, you've got to tidy up. You've got to prepare because somebody special is coming. The Queen, bless her heart, came to Lantricent in South Wales at the opening of the Royal Mint back in the day. And obviously it was prepared for months. It might have been years ahead, but at least six months. And all the royal officials were coming down and they knew exactly the road we were going and they travel along the road and check things so it's right and this is right and that was right because she's coming through the road. It shouldn't be three minutes through the road. They checked everything. And would you believe somebody said she was going to be passing a public convenience? And well, that's not nice to pass. So they, so they blotted it out. <laughs> the Colin say no more. How daft is that? All right. But it happened. But certainly, prepare the way. Prepare the way. The queen is coming. The king is coming. You've got to be ready. Are you ready? Are you ready for the king to come? If the Lord came, would you would say, oh, Lord, I don't come tomorrow because I've got so much to do and so much to sort out and the things I in my life that are not there and I need to get shot of them before you come. Get shot of them now. Don't take them through to 2024. Get shot of them. Get rid of them. Sort them, sort them out. What will the king find when he comes to take you home? What will he find in your heart, in your life? That's a, it's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge, me. Are you concerned to tell, share the gospel? 
before the king comes. Because there'll be loved ones that will be left behind. When I was a young preacher, foolish even more than I am now, this is one of my favorite topics, and my daughters used to hear this, I think, oh, he's at it again. Because at the end of chapter 17, Jesus says this, I tell you, in that night, there will be two. Now, the word men and women in the next verse is just italics, which means not in the original. But what Jesus actually said, there'll be two in a bed. Probably husband and wife, could be brother, sister, could be whatever. Two sisters, two brothers, whatever. There'll be two in a bed, one shall be taken and one shall be left. There'll be two grinding together. Grinding the corn and the big wheel, and one's pushing and one's supplying. One should be taken and one should be left. There'll be two out in the field, sowing, plowing, whatever. One will be taken and one will be left. Don't be left behind when Jesus comes. Ensure your faith is in Him now and pray for those who are closest to you and nearest to you. Pray that ere he comes, they will come to him in repentance and faith. Because in that great day, there will be a universal divide. Some will be taken and some will be left. Jesus is coming. I don't know when. As I read my Bible, I'm more and more convinced. The signs of the times indicate that it's not far off. As a preacher down in Wales, I mentioned him yesterday because he was the pastor of this friend of mine who died. He was his pastor. And he had this little illustration. Uh, again, uh, it won't mean much some won't mean much to some of you. But there was a famous cricket commentator. I think his name was John Arlott. Does that sound right? John Arlott? He was a famous cricket commentator. And he was commentating on a, probably a test, say Australia and England, from the Lord's cricket ground. And as he was commentating on the game, and he looked across and he said, the Lord's clock is just coming up to 12 o'clock. And he said, the Lord's clock is coming up to midnight and the hour is on hand and the Lord is at the doors. Are you ready? Powerful stuff. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we believe your word from beginning to end. The word that tells us of the promises, the prophecies of the Messiah who would come. We shall call his name Jesus. We shall save his people from their sins. And they're all fulfilled. Is the place of his birth, where he was born, all that stuff, all fulfilled. And yet there are more prophecies. There are more things that will happen. For the Jewish people, much more things will happen. There's a coming a day when he will return for his own. The Bible prophesies it. He promised it. And we're still waiting. Some mock, where's the sign of his coming? 
These things are just carried on as they've always been. No sign of his coming. Is he going to come? When is he going to come? Well, Lord, he will come. You will send him to gather up his elect from the four corners of the earth. He will come. We know not when, but we know he will come personally, come to the air. He has said certain things will precede his coming, as it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Lot. As we read these things, Lord, we are persuaded that these things are happening in our world, in the UK, in Europe, America, Russia, all through the world, things are happening. Oh, grant us to look up our redemption draws near. Oh, that we might be a pity a people ready for him when he comes. Tidy us up, Lord. We're so untidy spiritually. So much stuff around that doesn't it's not helpful. Deal with us kindly, please. Deal with me, Lord. Deal with me. Bless us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's sing of that coming. Last hymn, 290, 290. Thou art coming, O my Saviour, thou art coming.